0: This is the VIP podcast, Virginia in politics. Let's listen to host Chris Saxman explore the personalities and policies that connect the Commonwealth. The VIP podcast is brought to you by the VCTA, Broadband Association of Virginia and Virginia Free. The views and opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the VCTA and Virginia Free or our sponsors.
1: Okay, joining us today on the VIP podcast, that's Virginia in Politics podcast, two brand new VIPs out of Southwest Virginia, Senator Todd Pillian and Delegate Israel O'Quinn. Afternoon, gentlemen. Good
0: afternoon, Chris.
1: How does it feel to be the latest VIPs?
0: Oh, spectacular. We don't get called VIP very
1: often. Well, you should. You're the legislature. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be a honor of a lifetime. I feel a little, uh, feel a little comeback there coming. <laughs> uh, big news going on in today in the world, obviously, is the one six committee. We're not going to touch on that here, but where are things standing politically, as you see it? If you pull back and you know, uh, someone woke up after ten years and said, "Where, where are things today?" What, what would you tell them today, Senator Pilliet?
2: Well, I mean, I think Virginia is in a great position. I think we're moving forward. We have a great new governor, a fantastic lieutenant governor, and a a rock-solid attorney general. And we have um, a House of Delegates that's strong and united. And um, we have a Senate that is on the edge of greatness.
1: On the edge of greatness, one one seat away from a uh, split there with with the the opposite party. And uh, it feels good to be back in the majority, I'm sure. Delegate Quinn?
0: Absolutely. being in the minority, is um, it, it's, it's an unenviable position because you're certainly um, you know, sort of backed into a corner on a lot of things that you want to get done. And for you know folks like us coming from Southwest Virginia, there's a lot we need to get done. It's not just things that you would like to mark off of a checklist, it's stuff that we truly need to get finished. And um, being in the majority certainly helps us to advance the ball on that, no doubt about it.
1: What, the, what did you see in this session, gentlemen, that you thought was the big win? It Was there one?
0: Definitely, um, I would probably put school construction up there near the top. You know, that's something that our delegation has been working on for several years now. Um, huge problem that we have um, identified, not only in Southwest Virginia school districts, but really across um, the entire Commonwealth. And once we sort of were able to start cataloging those and, and sort of help folks realize that we had some real critical mass here. Um, after a lot of twists and turns, um, we made some really big progress on that this year. And it felt like it was um, a big win for our region and, and really a, a big win for school divisions in general. And that's
2: that's much to do um, from the good work that Israel did to get us over the, over the finish line um, and it's, it's something that we've been, Israel and I have been working on, and like you said, the entire Southwest delegation, and it's, it's, I said, when the governor was down here, we just opened it, we broke ground for a new school, something that's not been done
1: in Southwest Virginia in a long time. Um, Ex- explain and- that for our audience who, who might be living in suburban areas in the Commonwealth, who have new schools being constructed almost yearly in their, in their jurisdictions. Yeah.
0: Certainly we have, um, uh, very few schools that we break ground on in southwest Virginia. More often than not, it's out of necessity when you have um, you know, consolidation of multiple schools and you just absolutely have to bite the bullet and, and have a new building. Um, as I always say, most of the school buildings in southwest Virginia were built during the Eisenhower or Kennedy administrations and some much earlier. I think one of the ones that's going to be replaced in Bristol with the, um, the school that Cinder Pillion referenced, I think it was built in 1939. Um, the newest school in the whole division sat right next to where we uh, did the groundbreaking and it's 50 years old so mm. um, you know there have been a lot of, a lot of articles in the news uh, over the last two or three years of um, you know schools with leaky roofs and no air conditioning and moldy you know, walls moldy walls and, and all mm. just just the gamut and um, it, it's just it's just a bad thing to you know to, to send our kids to school in a situation like that and um, and, and certainly, it puts puts kids at a disadvantage. Even though um, you know our school divisions in Southwest Virginia continue to, to outpace the rest of the state. Um, and a lot of people ask the question, "How in the world do you do it?" And so um, it, it was like I said, it was big progress for Southwest Virginia. But you know, there are, there are school divisions in in Southwest, Southside, Shenandoah Valley, City of Richmond, City of Richmond, Northern Neck, um, lots of school divisions. But but to your point. There are a lot of suburban school districts that are building a new school, you know, every year, every other year. And, and it's just when you're in that situation, it is a little hard to fathom um, exactly uh, how bad that situation can actually be for other people. And this the school that uh, Delegate Quinn was
2: mentioning, we've, we've, I think we've had every statewide candidate tour that school in the past you know, decade. And we've had um, numerous uh, general assembly members come down, tour the school, see what our problems are and it's truly not an R or a D issue. It's, it is, it is like you was saying, it's a problem that affects inner city. It's a problem that affects rural. And it's, it's one that really, uh, I believe that that Southwest Virginia and the Black Caucus led, um, to, to, to get the attention drawn to it. Jennifer McClellan was leading the fight in the Senate. And, um, and of course, Delio Quinn got it over the finish line altogether, but it's, it's, you know, when your kids are going to school, like you said, with the leaky roof, a moldy wall or no air conditioning, people don't really don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat. Mm-hmm. They just want the right they want the right thing done. And that's that's how this finally got got over the goal line. And w-
1: when you when you say outpacing the rest of the state, are you referring to academic uh, success?
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, there are limited ways to. To measure academic success, and one of the ways that we have in Virginia, at least, is through SOL scores. Um, it, you can argue about whether you like SOLs or whether you don't. Um, I don't. The, same here. <laughs> uh, but it's it's one of the few measuring sticks you really have that can say, you know, this this region versus that region. And so, um, Region Seven, which is far southwest Virginia. Um, for the past, I don't know, several years now has been uh, has been number one in the entire state out of all seven regions. Um, wow. it, it's pre- pretty incredible given the um, the lack of resources, especially when you look at it on kind of a per capita basis. Um, and like we alluded to, the the, the the buildings and facilities that are being used, but, um, you know, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of grit, a lot of determination and, um, and it, yeah, ultimately, shakes out to be um, you know one of the better regions for K twelve education in the whole state. And and one of our our good friends, Frank Kilgore, actually took
2: out a, a full page ad in the Richmond Times to to talk about just this about how successful our 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 school systems were in Region Seven in Southwest Virginia, as it means to help you know um, spur a little economic development. So because when companies look at look at regions they want to know that your educational system is sound and and their their employees are going to be smart and and uh, willing to go to work and i think nothing proves it more than than the accomplishments of our local school divisions
1: and what what there's what is the secret sauce then what why are y'all number 1 what what is it there's got to be something there it's, it's not happenstance when i was when i was in the legislature and i represented highland county highland county was repeatedly the number 1 School system in the state, and they say, "Well, it's because you spend so much money per child." It wasn't that; it's only because they had fewer kids and they had smaller classrooms as a result. There's got to be something else there.
0: I mean, definitely, you know, class size, for instance, definitely does help. You know, if you're not having a thirty to one kind of ratio, so um, certainly that plays into it. But you know, we we have, um, you know, in Southwest, we have a lot of good school superintendents. We have a lot of good teachers. Um, and I think over the years, for better or worse, we've just kind of gotten used to doing more with less. Um, and you just know you've got to perform at a high level um, and you're not gonna be getting a whole lot of additional resources to pull it off. And so, you know, you just make up your mind that you're gonna do it. And, um, and you know, there've been a lot of, we've been asked that question many times and, you know, it's not like there's any um, true secret to it. It's not like there's some some little something that, know that we're holding back that no one else is doing but um but definitely i i do think that it's it's the old mantra of you know we've gotten truly gotten used to doing more with less and and the
2: teachers and the administrators are people that you you go to church with that you worship with you work with um you see in the grocery store and they're part of your community and and they they want your children to be just as successful um as they can be so I, I think that's a big part of it as well. It's a community-based learning. I mean, it's, it's truly the school in a lot of these areas is, is the, the focal point of the community. So that's why it's important is, that we- is that,
1: is that the secret sauce then? Is it the community aspect, the community education? Uh, is it the parental involvement? Is the, the lack of turnover in the employment, the employees and the schools that create that cohesion uh, when I would go to visit my schools, and it was like at school uh, was it legislator back to school week, and I'd go. And I used to be I used to be a teacher. I taught for four years, and I'd go teach, and I would ask the administrators, "What's so good about your school, or what do you need here? What do you need? Or what, what's so great?" And to to a person, every time the school was at the top of the list of all the the SOL scores and all the ratings locally, uh, they said parental involvement.
0: There's no doubt that we do have a significant amount of that here in Southwest. Um, again, you have smaller class sizes um, and and you do have tight knit communities um, still, you know, where you I know in, in a lot of cases, you know, some of, uh, you know, some of the kids nowadays are still going to going to school with some of the same teachers that, that we had when we were in school and so, him, so <laughs> Might have all retired at this point, probably. So. I was just being nice. Oh, um, but, uh, but, but, but <laughs> truly um, you're right about the turnover. There's not a massive amount of turnover, but it, it really is. There's a, there's a real community around, um, around the schools here. And you know, we always, we always joke that if you, if you ever want to rob a bank, all you need to do is go to Gate City, Virginia, on a Friday night because every single person in the county and every single law enforcement officer is at the Gate City High School football Friday game. And yes. You could walk off with the town. It's um, Friday night lights, and that's that's
2: that's duplicated all throughout the the southwest. Absolutely. Virginia. So, and you said parental involvement, community involvement. You know, parental involvement. We we definitely have had our fair share of um, effects from the opioid epidemic but even if the parental involvement is not there and maybe the grandparents are struggling, that's where I think our teachers know what's happening in their communities lots of times. And they, they fill that void. Um, And that's why it's so great this year that we, we see that in the, in the budget, they're getting another increase in pay. Um, It's certainly been a couple of hard years for, for teachers and students and parents and the entire country. But it's, that's a, that's another thing, another way that I think that we're, we're, making sure that we keep our good teachers intact and especially in Southwest Virginia, where, where that, that truly matters to us.
1: Those dollars stretch a lot more down there uh, than in the suburban areas of the state. Let's, let's move off if we can. Let's uh, talk about what else is going down in Southwest Virginia. First of all, what's give us the good news. What's what's happening? What's the economic development picture look like? Uh, What are you seeing? So we um, just this past year,
2: um, the end of, Northam's administration, the beginning of, uh, of Youngkin's, we announced that there was going to be one of the largest announcements in Southwest Virginia at um, seven hundred million dollars for the, the the Blue Nitrile Glove uh, Company in Whitfield. That's going to be wow. a significant game changer. I think it's over two thousand jobs. So we're we're still working on that, making wow. sure the making sure the infrastructure is there to now make gloves
1: to make rubber gloves.
2: Correct. Wow. Correct. So it's a it's a pretty in, um, incredible uh, recruit for Southwest Virginia um, and for withful especially and um, we're excited about that and that's we have some more money in the budget this year to make sure that they have all their training programs in place um, now of course they're looking at you know do we have enough housing do we have you know do, do we have the employees that we need to um, to recruit to fill these these positions of course um, another exciting thing that we have that's coming up is uh, the 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 um, the opening of the casino in Bristol, the first casino in the Commonwealth to come online. That's happening January or July seven, yeah, July seven. This uh, next month. Yes, will yes. be open. That's correct. It'll be open wow. under the Bristol Casino casino um, name. Hard Rock will come come on board when it's completed. So this is a a temporary casino. Wow. Site. Ah, OK, but it, uh, they're expecting um, uh, people to come out in droves and and, you know, and have have fun if they want to gamble. If not, they can take in the sites. There's going to be a couple of restaurants on, uh, already open for that. And I know they've been they've really been working hard to hire um, several hundred employees to get it off the ground. Um, so and then in turn, you have all the man, all the um, the construction jobs that go along with building the, the remaining portion, the hard rock casino complex. So it's certainly exciting. You know, Israel and I are always working hard. Economic development is so important um, to the entire Commonwealth, right. but it's vitally important to Southwest Virginia.
0: Yeah. And that's something that we've kind of, uh, along with, uh, the majority leader, Terry Kilgore have kind of, the three of us have sort of taken a much more hands-on approach. Uh, we actually, um, have a, uh, a public-private partnership that we started three years ago, I guess. Right. Um, called Invest Southwest Virginia, where we are taking a, a really active role in economic development, uh, recruitment efforts, and um, and just trying to trying to get out front of some of these things and and make make things happen. I mean, you, you've been involved in economic development enough to know mm-hmm. that it's it's so much about repetition. You know, if you get locked in on just making one deal happen. And it doesn't happen, then you're gonna have a real bad year. Um, you know, at any given moment, we may have, you know, a dozen or more uh prospects that we're we're working with and and uh you know and, and trying to trying to convince that Southwest Virginia is a great place for them to be. And um it's something that not not very many, very many legislators around the country have actually taken on. Um and it's far outside our job description, but um you know, we, we felt like it was something that desperately needed to be done. And we're not trying to supplant anyone. I mean, we, you know, we work with VDP on a regular basis. Um, you know, we're here to, you know, to, to be an extra set of boots on the ground and uh, extra set of ears. And, and a lot of the, a lot of the, the good things we've we've come across has really been word of, word of mouth. So, So we've been very, uh, very active in that. It's something that is, we always joke is literally our third job that doesn't pay anything, Uh, but it's, it's time well spent. Um, And we have an, we have a great executive director that heads it up. That's Will Payne.
1: Oh Um, gosh. Yeah. Of
2: course. Yeah. yeah, So Will, uh, Will's on the, um, the, the, the Women Mary board. And, Mm -hmm. and so he uses his contacts throughout the Commonwealth to, to really to look ahead at what we could be recruiting and, and and look back at what we should have recruited and, and try mm-hmm. to land those folks in southwest virginia i mean we we've, we've looked at making um making the blades for the off um offshore wind and with with some of the companies that we have in southwest virginia so he's he's really been dynamic in and getting getting some great ideas and getting some prospects out here and you know sometimes you might not land that prospect but you that prospect may know someone that wants to come here in, in the business world. So he's working hard. Um, we couldn't be happier with him right now. He's doing a great job. job.
1: What yeah. uh, Do y'all do any tobacco growing out there?
2: Very little. Yeah, there are a few points. Points. I just, I
1: just saw the numbers come out on the, on the, uh, tobacco, the menthol ban that FDA is coming up with and the impact, um, got a, a text from a, from a tobacco, uh, manufacturer manufacturers, the, the, the impact of the Commonwealth with all the different taxes, excise taxes, local taxes, state taxes, and the tobacco commission, the master settlements, like quarter of a billion dollars a year. Yeah,
2: yeah, we're we know, are, not
1: hurt y'all at all. We're not,
2: we're not producing much tobacco out here at this point. That was all, and the ta- the tobacco settlement, you know, most people took the buyout and moved on to something else. Right. You know, one thing, uh, Chris, that we have been, you know, that that is definitely. Um, we're right now we're at the top of the wave is with coal production in southwest mm-hmm. virginia um i feel like we are the met coal market is huge right now and um I, I feel like most of our coal producers are taking advantage of that and and our our coal guys are back to work and
0: and loving it because they truly
1: explain do. what met coal is for the audience yeah
0: met coal is a higher btu basically burns but yeah uh, and bur- it burns hotter and can be used for um, still primarily for steel, steel making, you can you know, coke it and then and make it into steel. Whereas you've got a much lower BTU coal that's thermal coal that's used for electricity. So a lot of the discussion you hear nowadays where um, coal is sort of sort of vilified, um, as an energy source, is directed towards the thermal coal market, while the metallurgical coal market um, is something that is absolutely crucial to um, to infrastructure and supply chain, and and is really, I mean, uh, yeah, the the extraction process is is very similar, um, but it, it's a completely different animal. And, so and it's basically like, an
1: industrial versus versus uh, commercial uh, applications, right? One way of looking at it. I mean, I'm just trying to put it in layman's terms to so the advertiser. Sure. Oh yeah, I get that. Right, so
2: like he said, met coal burns hotter, so they use that to to um, to use it for manu- like steel production and things. And, that where,
1: have- and where does that get shipped to? Out of y'all, our port. I know <laughs> yeah. that, but what's your customers? customers. There,
0: <laughs> yeah, there. I mean, there are some domestic steel manufacturers, but, but a lot of it's going to um, to India um, and you know the Australia, China. Uh, trade war has caused some openings in both of those markets that traditionally one or the other would have filled um so a lot of the a lot of the developing world um that desperately needs steel infrastructure um you know is buying it as fast as they can get their hands on it and it's great for the port um (laughs) you know it's frustrating to to send an american product out of the country have steel made and then import the steel back but um you know that that's kind of kind of that's where we are yeah. with with manufacturing these days at times. Yeah, but it, it's um, significant uh, production and, and
2: jobs in Southwest Virginia because of that. So we have some mm-hmm. of the best met coal reserves in in the country, if not the world. And, yep, and okay, and they're still available for to, to be mined out, and that's what that's what we're doing right now in Southwest. Yeah, and that's mostly Dickinson, Buchanan counties. Wise a little okay. bit. Yeah. Okay.
1: So let's talk about the budget. You're coming back again. It's only close to the deadline here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. Man. Uh, just put a little plug in the business community. Don't do this again, gentlemen. Please, <laughs> Let's just try to get the work done on time.
2: Yeah, our counties aren't real happy about it either. You can imagine. No,
1: I can't imagine that they are. Can't imagine yeah, that. But thankfully, you've got a lot of money to uh, to debate over versus going in and not having the money, which is usually what happens when these um, extended sessions take place. That will be this Friday. The governor's amendments and vetoes have come down. What have you seen in this package that you like or not like?
0: Well, I think there's a lot to like, and you've been a part of the budget process, and it's just like any other budget. If it, The budget at your home or the budget at your business, there are things that you fight for, and you get in there, and you're so excited about it, and then there's something that your colleague fights for and gets in there, and you wish it weren't there. Um, but, you know, there are times when they also wish things that you're advocating for weren't in there. So mm-hmm. uh, that's the budgeting process. Um, no one ever leaves happy with a budget. Um, or completely happy, I should say. But all in all, I think there's a lot to be excited about in this budget. There's, um, there's a lot of tax relief. I mean, the, the state coffers are absolutely overrunning, so I think some of the, uh, the targeted uh, tax reductions, whether it's through the uh, standard deduction or actual direct refunds, um, grocery tax, um, you know, tax relief for veterans. I think there's a lot to be happy about um, on, on the tax relief front. Right. We, we also put some investments in public safety, which was great.
2: You know, we um, we've been we've been hearing from our our DOC employees and our local sheriff's department for years now that um, that they felt like they they needed to be recognized in, in the budget and um, as well as other state supported state employees. So we put a 10 percent pay increase, five percent each year in the budget, um, so we also increased um, the starting pay for correctional officers, deputy sheriffs, and regional jail to um, to a base of forty two thousand, which was great. And I think we increased the the um, sworn officers, the state police, to 51.5. So So, uh, and then we, we put some money in for training and um, aid to local police departments. All things that that we should have been doing all along, and. Um, we're finally putting our money where a mouth has been. And with, um, with that, we also um, put 45 million in additional funding for school resource officers. So we could, we could um, finally cross that line and have a school resource officer in every, every school in the Commonwealth, which is, as we all know, is very important to have that, um, that, uh, those in place. But you know, really investing in public safety. Southwest Virginia, we have a lot of correctional facilities out here. We have a lot of people that take pride in their jobs there. And um, it's important. It was important for us to, for those folks to be recognized as our like our local sheriff's departments and, and our teachers. And, and we feel like that, but this budget has done that. But, you know, those are, and those are all great things. But, you know, and we each, we're, Israel and I are both excited about school construction money finally being in there. And, and we're excited about, we, we got $11.5 million for um, economic development programming at UVA-WISE one of the one of the, and three and a half million for um, childcare capacity, increased childcare capacity in Southwest Virginia. Um, but one of, the, one of the things I'm happiest about is four hundred sixty-five thousand dollars for the to finish the Mendota Trail in Bristol, because you know we have the Creeper Trail in Abingdon that's super successful and it 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 drives tourism. Explain and, what this is to the audience. So it's the Creeper Trail and the Mendota Trail are both Rails to Trails. Okay. Uh, um, trails that biking and, and and hiking trails that are, you know, they're former rail beds, so they're flat and gradual climb or decline. And um, they're, they're, they're something that really, I think, were, over, were utilized, if not overutilized during the pandemic. You know, people didn't have anywhere else or anything else to do, so the trails were getting just just hammered, um, and people really recognized their importance. Um, so, Anytime you go to the parking lot around the, the creeper trail here in, in Abingdon, which is a 17 mile trail from Abingdon up to the, um, the top of the mountain white top. Um, so anytime you do that, uh, you see cars from North Carolina, Michigan, Ohio. So it's, it's really become an economic driver for here. Um, and, and that's what we, we expect for the Mendota trail that's in Bristol to do the same thing. And it's it's um, a 12-mile trail that's not, um, it's got some trestle trestles that are bridges that are being completed now, but this additional funding, we've all carried budget amendments for it, but this additional funding will will push it over and, and we'll complete it um, sooner than they ever expected. So that those are, even those little things in the budget, that doesn't seem like a little bit in the budget like we have, that's, you know, that's not as large as the, um, the other things that we have but it's certainly something we're proud of um making sure that that's completed because it's for a community like mendota um it's really um really something they're very proud of
1: well it's, it's one of those great quality of life add-ons that just anyone can take uh, advantage of and you know when you're trying to put together an economic development package for a region you say we've got this and we've got this and we've got this and we've got this coming and that coming and people can go we can invest here a long time so i think what what you've, what you've uh, laid out there and the the budget. Everyone goes, it's, you know, everyone has a problem with the budget. Everyone has good things in the budget. And there's always a tough no vote or an easy yes vote, to, you know opinion how you want to, you know, play the game back and forth. But the reality is, if you have money to fight over, it's a lot easier to negotiate and debate a budget than it is when you don't have the money. Oh, for sure. And it absolutely underscores the need to continually keep our economic development efforts in the Commonwealth Razor sharp, so that we're the most competitive state in the in the country. Not just because we're so close to the largesse of the of the federal government, but we're also developing those economies regionally and locally, uh, especially for for areas like y'all.
2: Right, and that's that's another thing that we we looked in the budget. We put money in for site development because we felt like there were some sites that 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 we if we'd had the site in place, we could have. Um, and that's not just here; that's Southside and all over the Commonwealth. Sure, that we sure. could. Have, we could have recruited some industries if the sites were developed and VDP had them in their, in their, um, in you know in their book, and they could have said, "Okay, we can put you here," but we just weren't ready for that. And and we also put money to study putting an inland port either in Bristol or um, Lynchburg. There's money or both. Um, we know that the one that the one that we have in Virginia is in Front Royal. It it has a, about a six six thousand employee impact to that mm-hmm. region. So. It's we we have a lot of goods um, out here in Southwest Virginia, even in East Tennessee, that we feel like we could we could put on the put on the train and get to the fort, and also get people off Interstate 81. So, because if you traveled Interstate 81 recently, it is it is a um, nightmare to say the least. Let's
1: let's. I grew up on that interstate. It was my it was my backyard, literally, from where our our plant was in Stanton. and we used to run down to Withville and up past Winchester. Right. Uh, I was in route trucks and vans for, for years and years. Um, what are we going to do about 81 gentlemen? Let's just, you went there, let's go there. <laughs> I was Intimately familiar with that road. What are we going to, what's it going to take? So, I mean, we, we have an 81 commission, um,
2: that I'm a part of that, you know, a couple of years ago, we, we did put money in the budget to, to program to complete 81 and that's, it's now happening. It's not happening as fast as some other roads in the Commonwealth that we we see that are going to be completed um, sooner than that. Um, but we we definitely have a seat at the table now. We have Southwest Virginia leadership in the in the um, in the House. Um, that I mean Terry Kilgore has driven 81 more than anyone I think in the entire Commonwealth, um, and he he starts you know at at exit one and goes to 220. And um, so he recognizes the importance of it. You know, I think I think our speaker recognizes our speaker of the house recognizes the importance of 81. Um, Israel and I have traveled 81 together more times than we can we can count. Um, It's definitely something that needs to be done. And I think that there's going to be an and, you know, the the um, house transportation chair, Terry Austin is um, is he's on it. He is right there. Yeah, he is. He is very um, uh, honed in on making sure that eighty one gets the attention that it deserves and gets those projects
0: completed sooner than later. And it's a, it's a tough road to work on because of the topography um, of where it comes through. You know, and and by the very nature, you have lots of rivers and creeks and ravines and inclines and declines and, you know, the cost per mile is is very expensive. So there there is some dedicated funding um, that goes to that. Um, and, and there's, all, as Senator Pillion said, there are some projects, you, know, you have some climbing lanes and some areas that you can kind of um, alleviate some of that pressure that's, that's on 81. But um, I mean, I'm no traffic engineer, but I mean, it's going to definitely take some combination of additional lanes as well as finding other ways to take some of that traffic off of there and i think certainly the rails and the inland port and whatnot Mm. has has that potential yeah we
1: it's an interstate highway it's it's the domain of the federal government it seems like the the um the folks that represent that area from morgan griffith to ben klein have been in the legislature uh, it's like the team is available, at least in Virginia, to make the sale to the federal government, that this piece of interstate is absolutely critical to our nation's economic infrastructure.
2: Right. You're, that's, you're correct. And, and I think that, I think that, uh, Mark Warner and Tim Kaine recognize its importance too. Um, of course those other guys, you know, they drive it just like we do. So they, they see it a little bit differently than, uh, just from their experience. Uh, they they recognize the importance of it. So, you know, there's a lot of federal infrastructure dollars that are going to be coming down, and whether it be for rail or or um, highways or bridges, um, we're, we're hoping to get every single penny we can.
1: Let's shift to healthcare. Uh, Medicaid expansion, big issue several years ago. We've come into a pandemic where you have a lot more COVID uh, people being uh, moved into the Medicaid system. And eventually that's going to rub up against K through 12. Uh, what are we doing and what should we be doing to get ahead of that potential collision?
0: Great question. That's a good question. <laughs> I mean, it's, um, and that was, that was the, I mean, lots of people had reasons as to why they did or didn't support Medicaid expansion. I mean, were you know, every, there must've been a dozen different reasons on either side of it, but the potential, um, you know, inflation of the overall program and, and the cost thereof, I think, was one of the main concerns and sort of here we are. Um, you could also, I've heard the, you know, the opposite argument of, you know, the cost of doing nothing is more than that and that may be true, but um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think we're we're probably headed that direction.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's an unfortunate situation having, and I supported the medicaid expansion for the for the for the reasons that were laid out and that the federal government said it wouldn't go below 90 percent, and we're all real concerned about that and i and i like the reforms that were in the package initially that were taken out let's be honest by the previous administration that was a that was a bad deal um you know bad on their part um uh, governor Northam's part to to get out of the deal that he struck with chris jones and emmett hanger to get the deal done Uh, All those great conservative reforms that would have reshaped the entire program made it uh, almost too good to pass up because we were that's avoiding the eventual collision in the budget between K through 12 and Medicaid. And now you have this massive expansion with COVID, which has exacerbated that that potential. And we now have two million, I believe, two million people on the Medicaid uh, rolls. It's going to be even more painful to get them off if they are no longer eligible.
2: Right. Uh, you know, one way we get them off is th- there's plenty of plenty of uh, jobs that are available and hopefully we can re, uh, recondition and, and get some of those people in duly employed in the commonwealth right now. We certainly have an economic uh, uh, crisis going on, which is a lack of employees. And you'll see, you know, you see for so for hire signs all over the, and every what, every. what is what is
1: it? I mean, we have 11 million jobs open in this country. We've got low unemployment, and yet you talk to almost any employer, <laughs> they can't get people to show up to work. No,
0: well, and, and unemployment is a very different, me- di- very different metric than workforce participation, and um, you know, workforce participation is low. Um, unemployment is also low, um, so you've got a lot of people that have just dropped out of the workforce. And I've read, I don't know, dozens of articles in the last few months, and. Um, and you definitely had particularly you know, there's a huge shortage of, um, of females in the workforce and, and it's well documented there's a lot of a lot of females have dropped out and just said look you know I'm going to take care of my kid and I'm not going to I'm not going to work right now period um, mm-hmm. so to Senator Pillion's point earlier on child care that's that's certainly one of the big things that's held us back in southwest Virginia is um, you know the lack of child care and so so I think that's a part of it. You know, I read an article just a couple of weeks ago that had a very interesting premise. It was actually more of kind of an academic study um, than just a pure article. And essentially said that, um, you know, that our parents' generation generated more wealth um, than at any point in history. Mm-hmm. And that the next generation, which would be, I guess, us younger, you know, sort of more millennial types sure. uh, now don't have to work. Because of that wealth, and a lot of them, as all of this sort of played out in the last couple of years, looked and said, "Well, I'm getting two million dollars from dad or granddad. Why in the, <laughs> the heck would I go to work every day?" And that that wealth is in the process of transferring from one generation to another. Um, and you know, you, a lot of um, uh, a lot of financial advisors always say it's hard to transfer wealth past the third generation, and I think mm-hmm. we're at that point now. So um, you know, you've got you got some folks who are willing to to spend it down to zero before they go back to the workforce. And so you add all of these strange things together um, and, and you end up here. And during during COVID, it was it was very easy to to point and say, well, people are being essentially paid not to work. Um, and that was true. You know, there were, yeah. there were people pulling down right out a thousand dollars a week to, mm-hmm. to not work. Um, and in some cases it was warranted, in other cases, not. Um, you know, we sort of learned that the hard way through a lot of um, various constituent interaction, but um, but nevertheless, you know, we're we're past that point. Those uh, you know, those enhanced benefits have run out long ago, and uh, and we're definitely seeing something else happening at this moment. And I don't think it's just one thing. I think it's several things happening all at once.
1: Yeah, there there is a confluence of factors here, but uh, the the end result is I. I I can't tell you the, the number of employers or, um, you know, managers I speak with and run into, not in so far as my job is concerned, but in, in my job at Virginia Free, but just talking to local restaurant owners and, and shop managers, they can't find help. They, they'll have a hundred people apply for a job. They'll bring, you know, an offer to 20, five will show up for the first shift, you know, and it's, and it's how, do you, how, do you, how do you have that many people apply to want the job and then not show up. So I think it's, it's probably worth a, a bit of a legislative study to find out just what the heck's going on out here.
2: Right, and that, that's, that's what you're commenting on is the same thing that we're hearing from all of our folks in Southwest Virginia, our, our businesses are, in fact, we, we had a meeting just a week ago talking to all of our manufacturers about how can we help them fill their vacancies in employment and, um, and they're desperate. They're desperate right. for employees. It's 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 in fact it's decreasing their production because of that. And then and and you know they're trying their best to hold on to the employees that they have because their employees that they have are tired. You yeah. know, and, and it, takes, it they, takes
1: toll on everybody at that point. Right, it?
2: right. Yeah. It does. It does. So those are things that we're looking at. And you're right. Maybe it does need a JLARC study or or a study or something to encourage that.
1: I mean, I think just we need to put yeah. some data on the deck so we can start solving a problem here. Because right. It's one of those. It's one of those elements that we've been talking about this continuum in the conversation here about the need for economic development to create the resources of revenue for the Commonwealth to fund the core services and do the things that we talk about. You know, the lip service that we give, we give, not y'all. Uh, I don't send it around. I don't know how you phrased it, but uh, what you've been talking about, uh, putting your putting your money where your mouth is. Um, not pejoratively, I'm trying to understand this so that we can get to, get to solve the problem because we need to have a driving, growing, thriving economy to generate those revenues to do the things we want to do in our core services. And I think once we have some data points, we can go, oh, here are the problems because if people are applying for jobs and being in that process and getting their unemployment benefits, that's a problem, mm-hmm. right?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And that's that's where we've been for the past couple of years. When, 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 when employees are coming to you and say, I can't hire them if you're paying them more than I can pay them to sit at home. What what you expect? So you know, thankfully we're on the 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 tail end, I believe, of the the, the pandemic,
0: um, and and hopefully we can get back to work. And and I think that that particular problem was a philosophical difference between the prior administration and this administration. Uh, but I think that the pandemic. And then now moving into where we're at exposed the fact that there were some uh, massive structural issues at the Virginia Employment <laughs> Commission. Yeah, VEC was and a disaster. So uh, well, know, look, it's know. not it's
1: not just Virginia's problem. It's everywhere. I was in New York oh, right. two weekends yeah. ago, and it's ev- it's look, it's everywhere.
2: Well sure. they weren't they weren't designed to take this much at one time, you know. No, they're, no, no. it was never designed to hold
1: that. Yeah. We we went through an extraordinary time, and I think as a nation, we should be able to pat ourselves on the back to say we got through it as best we can, quite frankly. But you know, I had an idea back in the McDonald administration a pitch it to them. Why take away the benefits uh, straight away? I mean, you know, uh, you know, um, wean them off the benefits, but don't take away the will to work and make more money at the same time. Because if you go to work, the, the, the thought is, will you lose the benefits? Well, just scale them down uh, and transition them away from it, uh, but don't pun- don't penalize them from going to work. I mean, That's I think important. it's
0: something. I think it's something that deserves a a fresh look in light of where we've been in the last couple of years and um and and you know that that kind of activity is just not sustainable. And as far as sort of restructuring VC, I would I would venture to guess that's probably on the top three list of Governor and Yeah, Was it really? Is that
1: bad? Oh he came
0: in he BC, came in BC, fired up about it. Oh
2: yeah. BC DMV. I think those are two two of the th- three or four that he's really looking at. So
1: well, Senator and Delegate, how long does it take you all to get here? What's your drive time to Richmond? Uh, legally? <laughs> yes, legally, said the <laughs> lawmaker. Give, 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 or take, give or take. Legally?
0: Give, <laughs> give or take. It should five, take. It's five, it's five, <laughs> five. Yeah, yeah, give or take, it's five hours. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, if you hit a jam on Interstate 81, it might be five and a half or six. Um, okay. you know, if, if, we, if we get out of session at, nine o'clock at night and you're driving at you know, you know, midnight, you can make a little better time, but, um, but yeah, it, it's about five, five and a half hours, no matter which right. way you slice it. Right.
1: How, how, how quickly does Terry Kilgore make it in?
0: Uh, uh, I'm sure
2: he, he he, obeys and and half, three. he, he obeys the laws of the Commonwealth, um, just like we do, Chris. Well, so apparently he,
1: Israel doesn't by self <laughs> hey. so, he He's self identified so, so,
2: um, so Terry lives 45 minutes past the two of us 40 45 minutes past the two of us we live about five to ten minutes apart so, oh, so he, lives okay. about, he, he lives about 45 minutes past us so he's the he has the longest drive so um but somehow he he can beat us to richmond lots of times so this is, yeah. this is my shock face yeah i know i know well he, he knows the way he knows the way you know he, 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 he knows he's knows. He knows he's where i those- A few times, and he's got he's got his mother's cookies and cakes in the backseat, sure. so yep. he doesn't have to stop. He can just snack all the way to Richmond. Yeah,
1: made in the shape. Well, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate your service uh, for all your miles, not just on Interstate 81, but uh, driving around your uh, your districts and talking to your citizens out there and representing them well in the in the in the legislature. And look forward to seeing you back here on Friday. That's uh, July. What is it? July seventeenth. 17th. that's right july 17th wow cutting it close two weeks to go we're looking
0: forward
2: to getting this you know, finished i bet that wasn't on purpose right <laughs> no Gotten it that close. <laughs> got into that close
1: yeah no. Man. <laughs> Anyway, thanks for your service. Hopefully get a good budget done. And thanks for joining the VIP podcast available to you on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. Subscribe, like, and share. This is the VIP podcast brought to you by VCTA, the Broadband Association of Virginia and Virginia Free, of which I am its executive director. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe, like, and share. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a good evening.